0: Hi there, my name's Laura, and I'm the back half of Stella Tandem, a record-breaking attempt to cycle around the world in 2022 on Tandem Bicycle. As part of our preparations for this trip, I'm talking to lots of different people from the world's of cycling and endurance about how to prepare for a massive adventure like this, and hopefully to give other people ideas about how they can go on their own adventures too. And today we have Tim, who... um is very excitingly cycled from Reading to Reading which um, is a bit further than it sounds um, and is yeah, here to, to tell us all a, about that. So yeah I, I suppose first things first Reading to Reading it wasn't like you you just went around the back block and came back again was it?
1: <laughs> no that would be a lot easier I think to be honest but um, so I went from Reading England to Reading Pennsylvania um, <laughs> going east from, from Reading England obviously and Why? Because I just thought it was funny. I just liked the way that had a start name was the same as a finish name, and that was the end point of the journey, Um, but it was a Yeah, about 46 and a half thousand kilometres in
0: total. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, a little bit further than, yeah, just going around the block. But now I think that's that's a great premise for, for a ride, isn't it? And um, I actually, I grew up in Reading as well. So, yeah, we're, we're probably quite familiar with, with some yes. of the same places. But, yes, so it's, yeah, a great premise for, for the adventure. And... How, how did this all start? Have you always been a cyclist? Was this something that you've always had a burning ambition to do? Um, you know, was, was long distance cycling your thing or, or was it a bit of a more of a spur of a moment type of idea?
1: I guess, like a lot of people, um, I was never really a cyclist. Like I would commute to work by bicycle, but that was perhaps three miles. So that yeah. would be my total duration. But the trip, came about because i used to live in australia maybe in 2012 and i was sitting on a bus looking at all these villages and all these little places go past and i was wondering why we're not stopping and seeing these little places and on the bus all i was doing was going from tourist place to tourist place to bar to bar to hostel and i felt like i was missing out so i came up with a plan on the bus journey to cycle home from australia and I wrote down my little notebook like, oh, maybe I could just cycle home and write down all the countries and thought, oh, that'd be a good idea. Nine months, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guess it. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then I told my girlfriend and she said, no, that's a stupid idea. So I didn't, we didn't do it. And we, we flew home from Australia, but the idea germinated and it grew from that stage and became, you know, especially when you go back to working in a regular job, um, you know, when you're traveling, it's different. When you go back to, back to Reading, back to, mm. I was a travel agent at the time. Um, that idea kind of germinated with a frustration of the working world and also the idea of booking everyone else's travel just made me want to go to the places that I was
0: booking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I can imagine you are seeing all these wonderful places and yeah (laughs) you get itchier and itchier Um, and yeah and I suppose that was the draw was it was it the the speed of of bicycle travel because yeah you know there's there's so many places to go to so what was the kind of tipping point that made you kind of go right I'm just going to go do this. (laughs)
1: um well the draw was financial more than anything else because you know by going on a bike I, we'd worked out pretty quickly that we could afford it like we didn't have a lot of savings we had enough that would get us around the world we thought at the time mm. and you know once you got your bike and you got your your tent in your stove you only need to pay for fuel which is food so essentially that was what the reason for the bicycle travel was but also you know we both enjoyed cycling um for Noah and i so like we thought we'd, we'd be free. We'd, we'd see the world in a way that we would never see before, and you know it was financially viable, and you know we could work on our own steam. We had no time limit, which was another beautiful thing. On the bike is because you don't you don't need to take a month off. You you're doing this for your. This is a lifestyle choice at that point.
0: Yeah, and that was something yeah.
1: really appealed to.
0: Yeah, you're not rushing to get the the next bus or the next connection. It's yeah, you've you've got a lot more options um, in in terms of pacing yourself, haven't you? So definitely, yeah. yeah. Like if
1: you're knackered, you just sleep in a bush and
0: then you get up <laughs> and do the same again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, and yeah, so you you hadn't kind of been an avid cyclist before. So did you? Did you do a lot of preparation? Were you doing training rides or did you just get on the bike and go and figure out along the way?
1: So during those, when we came back from Australia, it was 2012, possibly. Mm-hmm. And we working in England for two years. And during that two years, we did do a trial trip. So we cycled from Munich to Vienna to see if we really liked it. And yeah. that was a good idea because if we, you know, if we did that little trip and realized we hated this, then we would never, you know, we could shelve the plans to go around the world. But that, that trip was lovely. It was very different because we, you know, it was a holiday trip. So we cycled and we stayed in hotels and campsites and drunk beer and eat sausages. And it was a lovely time. Yeah, um, but... but that gave us the idea that we still enjoyed the trip. Um, and that was kind of the only real planning that we did in terms of the cycling. You know, the day that I left, or we left. I'd never ridden the bike with all the panties on before. It was the first time. And it was very wobbly yeah um, i've never worn the clipping shoes before and then i fell over three times on the first day and then gave them to a charity shop in london
0: oh that's the worst <laughs> that feeling of just going down and you can do nothing about it <laughs>
1: like, i just felt like such a wally <laughs>
0: like, uh, it's really embarrassing yeah I've, I've been there and done that <laughs> Yeah,
1: so uh, i went from flats ever since that third fall and um so yeah i was—I didn't do much planning but we kind of worked out that we could do the planning on the roads. you know we'd get fit if we could cycle to you know to France that's mm. you know a good two three hundred kilometers we that would be pretty fit and that was the first of a So to that point the fitness would increase and the planning would take care of itself
0: yeah yeah and how did you find the, the kind of the practicalities of it like keeping the bikes running keeping you know finding camps finding wild campsites things like that yeah. was that like a whole new experience as well
1: so the bike's running, I actually volunteered at the Reading Bicycle Kitchen, which was a bicycle car set up in Jackson's Corner in the centre of Reading.
0: Oh, so, I know where you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you know that little place? So it's just Yeah, Reading. I knew
0: it when it was Jackson's, yeah, when Jackson's was there, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So Jackson's went bust. It's like an old um department store and they could never re-let it because it was such a listed building yeah. so a bicycle coach had moved in underneath and they were doing um you know repairs and maintenance and volunteer community space uh, and i would volunteer there and partly to learn knowledge myself so i was able to help other people and also learn how to fix a bike therefore fix my bike and lots of different bikes in fact so that gave me strength of mind and confidence in repairing a bike because you know, the bike that I bought was, you know, I just bought the frame and then put all the bits from a mountain bike onto that bicycle.
0: Oh, so you Eight actually built it. it all?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, just because it was cheaper. Yeah. Um, you know, and I figured that a mountain bike gearing would kind of work for a touring bike. And it did. It worked really well because um, it was very low. Yeah. Um, and the frame was a steel frame for 90 quid. So, like, because I'd done that journey of building my own bike, it actually gave me the confidence to fix anything on the road. Hmm. So that was really, really amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a, a massive skill to have I'm, I'm really lucky that um, Stevie is is very mechanical so he fixes you know most things that occur but he'll do he'll fix things on the side of the road he'd you know fix broken chains and all sorts and I think it's it, it gives you a lot more leeway to keeping going when you are on the road and you don't know where the next bike shop is if you can kind of fudge it as it were exactly it's, you don't have
1: to be the best but you, if you can bodge something and get you, the next town it's really empowering because you don't have to rely on buses or trains or anybody else or hitchhiking you know relatively simple stuff can be fixed as long as you have the tools and then you can carry on and get to the nearest proper bike shop if you need it which is you know a really freeing idea and freeing knowledge i guess which is really good i'm glad you guys have that too
0: yeah, no, it's definitely a skill to have. And yeah, I think, you know, getting involved with something voluntary like that. There is there is one in Derby, which you've always meant to, you know, go and help out. And we, we probably should at some point, but I think most big cities and towns have them nowadays. So yeah, yeah I really think good. it's a, a fantastic idea for anybody looking to get into it. Um, and then, yeah, you obviously kind of got going and it started off down through Europe, I believe. And then where did you kind of, Route from there, as it were, what was your, your rough kind of route, as it were?
1: Yeah, so we kind of winged it. Um, so <laughs> we didn't really have a route, obviously, um, you know, but we'd gone through France, Belgium, Holland, uh, Germany, and then we're planning to go to Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, but like we're really spending quite a lot of money in that part of Europe, it's quite expensive, and we're new to the whole thing, so we were, you know, getting campsites and drinking beers and having lovely lunches and you're just trying to get our feelings together getting our you know wits in i guess is a good way of putting it so you know once we got to germany we decided you know what well, let's try and go a different way it'll be cheaper so we went to czech republic and slovakia because we decided oh, right let's do cheaper country and they were cheaper countries so they could we could kind of still keep that lifestyle but also just it would cost us a bit less which is really good um so we went through um Czech Republic, Slovenia, Hungary, uh, Romania, which was amazing, Bulgaria, and then into Turkey, and then towards Central Asia from there, which I think is one of those called common cross-Europe Europe routes, really.
0: Yeah, they no, definitely, I think it's, yeah, a lot, a lot of the way people go, and, and then kind of crossing like the Middle East, um, it's something we've kind of, I suppose encountered problems with We've had to think quite hard about how we're going to get through that middle section. Um, it's very hard for UK citizens to get visas for Iran and places like that. How did you get through? Was it was it the the boat <laughs> or
1: it was the boat? Yeah, no,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I've done the research, and you just can't get a visa for Iran if you if you're British. Um, mm-hmm. I've now actually applied to my Irish passport, so maybe in, a, in, a, in the future I can go back and see Iran. But, oh,
0: that's an interesting idea, yeah, because it sounds yeah. like a fantastic place to ride. But it sounds amazing, yeah. It? yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> so for us, it was the boat, and the boat itself is a hassle because you get to Baku, which is on the coast of the Caspian Sea, mm-hmm. and you need to get the boat, but there's no schedule for the boat, and they don't give you the tickets until the day the boat arrives, and they've got maybe four cabins on the boat, and it could be... 10 people trying to get tickets so you have to call up the office twice a day to see if the boat's there we'll look out the window go no no boat today and then you go all right no worries and then she'll say at one point you'll call her up and she'll go yep there's a boat here get your tickets now go come come so you've got to peg it all the way to the ticket office buy the ticket for the boat which leaves that day it's a hundred dollars and then you have to get to the boat so say you buy a ticket at midday the boat is leaving leaving inverted commas at 5 p.m., but you've got a 60-kilometer ride to get from Baku to the boat terminal. So we got a taxi because we didn't want to risk it, but you could you could cycle it and, and peg it across yeah. Azerbaijan. Um, and then, you know, even, even with the taxi, by the time we put the bikes together, got the taxi, two people and two bikes in a taxi is quite difficult anyway. We'd got to the ferry terminal and the, um, the captain is standing on the side of the ship and he's you know, waving us in. We showed him our tickets and our passports and we're like, all right, we, we made it, we made it. And he goes, guys, is Terry's not leaving for another 10 hours. And you are like, okay, <laughs> standard.
0: <laughs> After you've made all that effort. and All
1: that fuss and stress and anxiety <laughs> that we just paid $100 and we're not going to make the boat. But um, the boat crossing itself was actually really lovely in a way. Um, the, the cabin was... Very nice, very well looked after. It was almost like a holiday in hotel, actually, and all your meals are provided. So in in that aspect, the boat is a good way of getting across to Kazakhstan.
0: Yeah, it's just a bit. And I think that's something that, you know, from the UK, you just can't imagine that not having a timetable. Um, We're so used to everything being so regimented. It's um, (laughs) it's it's such a different outlook on things. And you just can't believe that people function or work like that with yeah, Oh, yeah, boat might be here at some point in the next week. Um, And and what happens
1: is because there's a backlog. So when we crossed across to Kazakhstan, we stopped you know we're maybe an hour away from the ferry port but because there was a backlog of boats coming in we had to wait 12 hours for the actual boat to to dock into the into the port so that's why it can they don't know and it's quite an interesting especially when you're on the boat and you're like i can see it can i can we go and they're like no 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 not
0: Oh, it's mad, isn't it? And I think it really kind of highlights the, the difference in cultures along the way, doesn't it? And was was that kind of when did that kind of come in? I mean, did it kind of, do you find it gradually, you know, developed as you came through Europe? or Was that kind of a, a very much a point you kind of went right when we're, we're, we're not in, um, you know, familiar territory anymore?
1: I think the first place it became glaringly obvious was when we crossed the border from Germany to um, the Czech Republic. And we'd gone from quite the, you know, a, a nice sort of romantic forest, German Bavaria, to desolate, a desolate village, you know, bullet holes in the in the buildings. And it was really a stark contrast to a different landscape and a different culture, a different environment, even though Czech Republic is still quite European. Yeah. You know, they've got a lot of uh, old history and architecture and culture. And, you know, it's very familiar in terms of tourism but that was like quite an eye-opener for the first time to see something very different. And then as we crossed Eastern Europe, it became more and more obvious that the people were more and more friendly, I would say. Like, you know, we were getting more offers of random hospitality in places like Romania and Bulgaria and and then Turkey as well, which is, you know, you can't stop without being offered a cup of tea and somewhere to sleep, which is really lovely. Oh, that's
0: that's great, isn't it? And yeah, I think, from everybody I speak to about these trips, it's like the the people that that make it, and you know the, the friendliness that you kind of receive along the road. And you know, is that something you kind of experience the world over, as it were? Is it?
1: Yeah, is it and the trend. Tim and Laura, Mo- Tim and Laura Moss's book is really nice because they dedicate mm-hmm. their cycle around the world, book just to the people they meet, and that's kind of a testament to the amount of people you meet whilst cycling. And yeah, it is the world over. Like it can be from, you know, Eastern Europe into Central Asia, Turkey, where you can't move for hospitality, Central Asia, you know, we're in the mountains and it's minus 15, people always invite you in to get out of the cold, which is beautiful. Um, China, they're curious as to why you're in their village and are you buying any chicken feet? And would you like to come and have some traditional food, which is lovely. Um, Australia and New Zealand are prevalent with warm showers host, just like America. So it's not really random hospitality, but you can log on to the Warm Showers network and find somewhere to stay, which is really lovely. Uh, and then South America and Central America as well. You People just so warm and kind. And even in countries you think are dangerous, like El Salvador, Honduras, you think, oh, that could be a bit hairy. But, you know, really, you sit down and have a watermelon with a family and you say, what well, they say, welcome to Honduras. And you're like, oh, actually, this is OK. This is going to be a good spot
0: oh that's amazing to hear and yeah i think it's one of the main things we're looking forward to is is just meeting people and i think one of the things we'll probably come away from our trip with is that we we, because we'll be going relatively fast that we won't have enough time but um i'd like to look at it as just a recce for future adventures and to go back and spend more time in in the places we like um, what were the particular were the particular places that were highlights that did stand out as you know certain countries or cities or towns or areas
1: in terms of in terms of hospitality you mean or just in terms of just in overall
0: overall um yeah you know what were what were, were their kind of highlights or was it just a bit of everything.
1: I mean, like, there were definite highlights, there were definite roads and towns and cities that were amazing. Like, the road from Bishkek to Osh in Kyrgyzstan is the most mind blowing road, mind blowingly beautiful road I've ever ridden on. It is 7,000 meter mountains with valleys and descents and rivers and glaciers, and it's stunning. And I've never been so happy to descend for two days into <laughs> from the top of the most beautiful alpine kind of Himalayan almost mountain range down through the the gorges into the rivers below and it is stunning so um, you know go I'm sure everyone on these podcasts say go to Kyrgyzstan it is absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and the
0: beer it, is 25p. <laughs> oh, fantastic! that was, <laughs> yeah. It must admit, it, it's looking like it probably won't factor on our, our route this time round. but yeah, Kyrgyzstan sounds like, you know, it's it's on the Silk Road mountain race. There's so much talk about how, how amazing it is. And, yeah. yeah,
1: I guess another thing is, like, when you are going fast and when you are setting world records, like, those regions that are difficult to cycle on, um, probably even more so in a tandem, mm-hmm. is because they're mountainous it will slow you down a lot where if you're going for the record you probably have to keep it relatively flat I would
0: imagine. yeah so unfortunately for us i think the premier highway will be out and yeah anywhere in those mountainous regions but so yeah there is a, a focus on trying to minimize yeah the amount of climb we have to do because it does it, it it absolutely saps your time on a tandem yeah. i think it would just mean yeah it'll be somewhere else to put on the bucket list in, in the definitely yeah yeah <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then you, um, I know a reasonable amount about your, your trip already because I've, I've started reading the book, <laughs> which Amazing. is, I think it's come out, it's, pro- it's probably just about a week, is it? Is it a yeah, bit about early? two weeks officially. Two weeks. So it
1: came out, um, I think on the 19th of Feb and yeah, it's been out for two weeks and it's its really proud of it. It's really, a really nice document of the trip and um, I try to be honest and as you know, humorous as I can, but it's uh yeah, it's quite a cathartic thing to write a book, especially when the trip took three years to write and the book took about two and a half years to come out. So it's just it's almost as long as riding it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean.
0: it's a, it's an endurance event all to itself.
1: No, it really is, yeah. It's really hard. It's much harder than cycling.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing. And yeah, don't don't tell Alistair Humphreys, but I've I've temporarily ditched his second book in favour oh. of yours. So <laughs> oh.
1: Wow, thank you. That's quite
0: the the testament, I must say. So now I'm really enjoying it. Um, I must admit, I'm not quite finished as yet, but it means, yeah, I've got got a few few kind of um, insights and and spoilers, as it were. Um, And one of the things that happened on your trip, of course, you started off with Finola, who's your girlfriend at the time, but you you finished it by yourself um, through the last part of it, wasn't it? Um, And you've been very honest already. You know, I I think it, it. it really kind of makes it your honesty about the difficulties of, of cycling together and, you know, kind of being on the same page and things like that. But I think one of the things that comes across is that you, you know, even though there were difficulties, you, you were still working really hard together as, as a team. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it must be, it's been a real challenge to, you know, get each other to, to the next spot along the road sometimes, but, um, Do you, do you feel that you've got kind of quite an insight now to the pros and cons of being with another person and, um, I would say
1: that, um, you know, being in a relationship with someone is, is one thing, even cycling in a group is, is still, when you spend that much time with anyone, when you are tired and hungry, um, you know, you're knackered, you're ridden all day, you're worried about your finances, it's a particularly busy road or something, you're going to rub up against each other. And if that is the one you love, or that is your friend you're riding with, it can be very difficult to manage that situation. I think it's probably slightly harder in a relationship because you kind of not have to be together, but you've chosen to to do this thing together. And whereas if you were friends, you can kind of change your route a bit if you don't, if you want to break up and you can, that chat, I think, is a bit easier to manage. But... Yeah, it was difficult at times. Like, there were places where we really argued and really thought about, you know, just the smallest things like putting a tent up or are we having chicken soup or noodle soup? Do you know what I mean? Which is silly, <laughs> but it just shows the tiredness and the, like, the levels of frustration that are just bubbling straight to the surface, which normally would be pushed down below, I think. Um, but yeah, but also, we did, when things got tough, like when we were in Central Asia, over the mountains we sort of rallied as a team as you said and what i found because our range ship probably wasn't perfect at the beginning when things got tough those cracks kind of we pushed each other together so we could get through the danger and the cold and the potential inherent risk there is of those environments when things become easier like when we got to southeast asia and it was warm and sunny and you know you kind of run a tourist area those cracks then became wider and that's why we decided to stop riding together because we end up we weren't getting on anymore and it was probably it's not fair to say it was my trip but it was kind of like I think I was slightly the leading party at the beginning in the terms of the the planning and the desire but yeah, when Finola went home, and that was right for her at that point, but she still did very, very well to cycle from Reading to Malaysia, which was amazing.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's an amazing trip, and so I think it's really commendable to the pair of you that, yeah. You, you really pulled it together when things got tough I think it's, yeah. you know, it's been amazing to kind of read that account and yeah I mean I've got obviously I've got six months to spend on the same bike as my husband so we'll see how that goes I <laughs> but, won't make uh,
1: the obvious joke about the tandem <laughs> 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 yeah, a
0: really... once or twice but yeah <laughs> it's it's certainly going to be one of the big challenges is um, <laughs> trying to keep patience with each other as we we go around but we've we've done a few tough things before so hopefully that will will kind of yeah. narrow the cracks as it were and I just
1: guess um what's important to say is just just talk to each other like what we found is when things got tough we would stop talking to each other and then mm. what you'd find is that resentment kind of builds up because you don't deal with it just like any relationship it's just more thrust to the surface so if you do have any issues i'm sure you guys will be fine. But um, if you do have any issues just talk it through early doors i think that's the best way to mitigate any issues and that probably goes for life as well as cycling to be honest
0: yeah i think i think i do think these you know these trips are kind of a, it condenses life around you sometimes doesn't <laughs> yeah. it so yeah. you have to deal with everything in a very condensed form which yeah, potentially makes you you're better at things in the long run <laughs> and then once you were kind of off on your own um Eventually, you know you might have had a sense of freedom and things like that but did you did you miss any kind of benefits of having another person there with you is that something that you're just happy to to you know be off on your own or were there kind of like oh i could have just done with somebody to like watch the bikes while i nip to the shops or yeah. all that sort of thing
1: well, that's a really simple thing you've just said but actually that's a real nightmare is yeah. <laughs> the bikes when you go to the shop um not that you know you wouldn't be on. You, you need a partner just to watch the bikes, but like it's a real, a real difficult thing when you're on your own. It's just like, do you lock it? Even, I remember going in Colombia, not Colombia, it was uh, Chile. I locked the bike to a, a lamppost, went into the shop, came back 20 minutes later, and someone nicked all the things out of my pannier. Oh. Um, and I was distraught because I had my MSR stove in that pannier, and I was like, that's 100 quid, and that's my cooking facility. You're not going to buy another one of those easily on the coast of Chile so I was really annoyed um but that was just past the parcel of being on your own because you have to do take your valuables and trust that the bike's going to be okay in that instance I was quite lucky that obviously my bag in the pannier everyone looked really dirty and horrible and I found everything dumped in a pile around the corner so like <laughs> I'd got my stove back and it was all resolved but it was quite scary at the time um, but In terms of other things, you often miss a partner or a friend or just someone to ride with when you ride up in a lovely village or a sunset town in the evening and you want to share it with someone over a a meal or something like that, which is really special. Sometimes it can get a bit boring eating on your own. Um, But then also you have sometimes it's great to eat on your own. You might meet one of the locals and have a chat and get invited to the house because sometimes when you're in a couple... You've got each other and you're less open to that kind of hospitality so there's pluses and minuses on both sides i think
0: yeah i think so definitely and yeah uh, you know but yeah it is sometimes the simple things that yeah two pairs of hands is is better than one isn't it and and yeah you know interesting bits of kit like your stove become your, your key items um I suspect that was probably one of yours because sometimes it's, you know, there's nothing like just being able to cook up some noodles when you're on the side of the road, yeah. rather than eat some cold food. Were there any other bits and bobs that you took with you that, you know, you really kind of made the trip as it were and made life easier?
1: Um, my Kindle was a, was a lifesaver, especially if it was on my own, but, mm. um, you know, just to read, like, especially if you're in say the Australian Outback and you've got to stop in a, in a shady bush between 11 and three, it's too hot to cycle. Just to read the Kindle was amazing and you know just to have all those books in your hand was really really a lifesaver. Um but also it's good to sort of think about what you're taking. I guess things that are really good like your stove like your um rest get the right sleeping bag get the right um you know think about GPS and how you're going to use your navigations and things like that which are vital for just getting around I didn't really have any luxuries really um I did bring a hammock with me all the way around the world and used it once so
0: I <laughs> oh, said so that was worth it
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 about what you're taking even, even if you think it's a luxury you might just never use it <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you know how much your stuff weighed in the end did you ever I, I know a lot of people will make yes yeah, so I did
1: so I, I got it all weighed when I went from Singapore to Australia because I had to get on the flight plane. So, mm-hmm. um, so my bike and all my belongings weighed about forty-six kilos in total. Um,
0: yeah, that's not bad. Pretty, actually, yeah. yeah, it's
1: not bad. So it gets worse when you have to put water on it and yeah. and food, but um, it was it was a solid steel bike and it held up really well in terms of that with that weight on. So that was good. Yeah,
0: amazing. Um, and so you got around i believe it was 1081 days your your trip entirely um yes. so you're away for quite quite a long duration of time um and it must have you know felt amazing to to kind of get to the end of it but how did it how did you then did you feel like you had to integrate yourself into society again did you have the post adventure blues as they call it
1: yeah um so i think i was quite lucky in a way that being away for so long it can physically and mentally change your outlook so um, I remember when I was halfway around the trip and I decided I need to get a job so I got a job in a travel agency in, in Auckland in New Zealand and the minute I sat in that comfortable chair and sat behind a desk on that first week all I wanted to do was run away and <laughs> I didn't because I needed to earn the money but I kind of learned a lesson there of like what do I want my life to be post-trip because I've I'd, I'd, done my you know had a few careers in my life but perhaps it was ready to change again so when I got back from the cycle rides I was looking for jobs it was was summer so it was 2018 it was May when I got back so it was summer so there's lots of jobs in the outdoor industry so I was like oh maybe I can work in the outdoors so I found a job teaching bushcraft and survival um, for residential kids at a school holiday resort in Oxford and it was amazing so I got to actually spend my time in the woods Teaching things like firelighting, survival, shelter building, um, you know, fishing, wild swimming, and so I could almost continue the trip a little bit. And it wasn't like a a big shock to the system. Um, I was then lucky enough to get a job in the Middle East teaching paddleboard and teaching bikes to kids who were who were unable to cycle. So it was really amazing there, and I was like, "Oh, this is really good." And I've now changed my whole career once again, and that's what I do. I work seasonally, and I have a deliver bushcraft and survival courses in, in Oxford or in Northampton or, or around England or I guide bicycle trips now and I've just been in Africa before the pandemic guiding from Cairo to Cape Town but obviously with this because of the COVID and the pandemic the whole industry was pretty much hit really badly so um, I'm looking forward to a busy summer but I don't know internationally if things will pick up anytime soon but yeah, yeah oh, it wow. kind of that avoided the, the trip blues I think and the and it was just good to see everyone. It was almost like a party when I first came home because you haven't seen anyone for three years. So you're just going around to all different <laughs> places saying hello, lots of hugs and kisses and beers. So it was really
0: nice. Oh, that sounds fab. And yeah, that sounds like you're living the dream at the moment. And hopefully, yeah, you'll, you'll get to travel further. And yeah, I think it's because that's the, the one kind of continent you didn't really kind of explore in your world trip was was Africa, I believe, wasn't it? So it must have been kind of, kind of really good to tick that box. Yeah. Um, it was
1: amazing yeah i felt very lucky and i um you know you guess you you make your own luck in this world but you you know if i hadn't done that trip i wouldn't have been on this job but to to be a guide on a trip from cairo to cape town with 40 clients all seeing it with their own eyes and you're doing the logistics and the mechanics and the you know just guiding them through every day was amazing and um so we only got we went from cairo to tanzania before we had to cancel the trip in in march so maybe 2022 that will i get to finish that leg which would be really nice
0: oh that would be amazing wouldn't it and yeah yeah, it sounds like a yeah it must be an epic face ride and i think it's fantastic that the skills you've gained from from your original trip you know have have kind of transposed into that i think that's that's it's an amazing thing to do isn't it so it is yeah
1: yeah, because you know you learn these hard skills you know three years on the road Mm. that's solid skills you learn in terms of guiding and navigation and mechanics so that transfers really nicely into my new career which is really good
0: yeah it's it's really exciting isn't it um and then is there anything from your trip like looking it back on it now you'd have changed you've done differently you kind of think you know in hindsight you'd have uh, you know maybe gone about a different Um, way
1: I think there are places I would have probably gone that I missed out um in terms of cycling like between say chile and argentina sometimes i was unable to cycle the really hard and famous roads of the passes so the paso san francisco paso um the pink lagona route in bolivia because of snowfall i couldn't get there so that was kind of missed out not from a only from a logistical point so i could have waited for the snow to melt or the storms to pass but because i was always on a bit of a budget i kind of felt that if i'm waiting around i'm spending money that is not propelling me forward so i guess probably the biggest lesson learned would actually be maybe go with a little bit more money um just because there were times when i really did have to worry about it when i had like 800 quid left in five months you're thinking god that's gonna be tough yeah um yeah. you know but you get by but there was probably some opportunities and things that i could have done being a tourist like I could have I could have gone to Machu Picchu say and things like that while I was in Cusco that I couldn't afford to actually do at the time so that was a bit of a shame but it was a trip about the cycling and yeah. I guess you you know I had to do it in my own way which was to generally be quite poor the whole time which is
0: <laughs> I didn't enjoy
1: that so that was fine
0: yeah. I think that's the thing you've, uh, you either go hard and fast or you go slow and long and yes. it, it, the longer you're out there the more it costs but yeah I mean it sounds like you've yeah you really got the knack of being quite frugal and yeah i think it's it's a whole different way of seeing the real world really isn't it when you realize how little you you actually do need to survive on
1: yes exactly yeah banana sandwiches and a tent in the <laughs> woods to gets all you need
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely um, And and uh, prior to this i think it is on, on the social medias with talking about like alistair Humphreys and things like that have probably been big inspirations to the, the both of us i mean now you've got the, the book out as well. And, you know, through, through all your information too, have you found that anybody's kind of come back to you and gone, wow, you've really inspired me to, to, to seek out my own adventures? Because, you know, I think we personally would like to think that through our trip, we might kind of give somebody that oomph to, to go and do it. Because so many people have these ideas and they don't necessarily just get out there and, and make them happen. Have, have you had anybody come back to you and say, yeah, you know, Tim, I've, I've heard all about you and I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z.
1: Yeah, there's been some really lovely feedback from the book about how it's inspired them, especially in lockdown and what they've, what people have thought about their lives. And maybe they could do not a similar trip, but just to go out on the bike and explore and to camp and to overnight, which I think is really, really important. It doesn't have to be three years. You know, the aspect of adventure can just be, you know, overnight. Alice Humphrey says it best with the micro adventures thing that he does which is you know five to nine not nine to five and that's a really lovely thing to do and I think that's a lovely takeaway here it's actually more impactful that people are fitting this in their lives which you know if you've got a house and mortgage and kids you can't go away for three years and that's cool so it's really nice that people are actually figuring out the inspiration from my trip can actually go into their lives in just a really small way which I think is really fantastic Um, a friend of Joe um mine and Joe's it's there her friend actually went for her first overnight bikepacking trip with her actual kids uh, and they did like a three-night um, bikepacking and camping and then a hotel and it was just really to see and that's kind of based on you know hearing the stories that we tell and share and it's quite lovely to to get that immediate feedback and hopefully this summer will go out with them and maybe go a little bit further but it's just great to see and those kids learn so much on those little trips it's really really amazing
0: yeah no definitely and yeah I think that's something you know. We're, I'm very lucky to be able to take time from work and things like that, but not yeah. everybody can do that. So, you know, if you can inspire people just to go that bit further or spend a night outside, I think it's, it's such a big thing just to give people that impetus to do it. And yeah, that's amazing to hear that. Yeah. People that's are really kind good, of getting it? out and about. Yeah. It's, it is really good. So yeah, hopefully as things open up again, there'll be more and more people and yeah, hopefully oh, there's, there's going to be
1: such a big demand for it. Like yeah. the, like last pandemic, that last lockdown in March, April, all the bike shops sold out of bikes. Everyone's got a bike in the shed right now. And I think everyone is looking at a UK holiday. So why not cycle? Why don't you get on your bike and cycle between the campsites or, you know, do the job or just the King Alfred Way? There's so much cool stuff in England. I think it might be a bit of a English touring explosion this summer, which will be really good to see
0: yeah definitely because um you know compared to prices abroad it, staying b bs hotels in the uk is is very expensive and yeah you know oh, if you can get out yeah. on your bike and just do it it's yeah it's a, a fantastic way to do it isn't it so yeah it's yeah. amazing fingers crossed for uh, an amazing summer <laughs>
1: yeah and then if you want to go around the world then do that too because that's amazing <laughs>
0: fantastic um i have got some tandem trivia um questions for you Amazing. so hopefully they won't be <laughs> too cheesy um, so have you ever ridden a tandem
1: no i've never ridden a tandem i'd love to but i would never ever ridden one so
0: far ah uh, you've got to give it a go you've got to give it a go and so yeah if, if you were to to ride a tandem um and you could put anybody else on that tandem with you you know alive or dead famous not Who would you put on a tandem with you?
1: Um, So I would love to put on my cycling inspiration. I think if we're going to go with someone I can spend some time with and have a real good chat and pick their brains, it's Alistair Humphreys. When I read his Cycling Around the World book, it was the (laughs) inspiration for me. And so if I could just share, pick his brain and just enjoy some stories from his trip and we could share some stories, I think that would be a really fun tandem trip and a really good person to go with.
0: Oh, he'd be amazing, wouldn't he? And he'd get you camping out and doing, you know, climbing trees and all the good stuff. Yeah, he's so honest.
1: He's a real human. I really like
0: him. Yeah, yeah. He'd tell it as it is as well, wouldn't he? Yeah. Oh, he'd be fab. Yeah. (laughs) I'll put him on my list too. Um, (laughs) So would would you have him on the front or the back of your tandem? Would he he be the the powerhouse at the back or um, driving you around?
1: No, I'll be the powerhouse. He can yeah. be, he can he can pick the roots. Uh, that would be <laughs> uh, that would be a fair way to go, I think. <laughs> like...
0: amazing. <laughs> um and then um, we often say like on tandem, we're, we're kind of joined by the frame. So, you know, we're like one unit as it were. When you have been out around the world and doing your adventures, is there like any one item that you're joined by the frame to that you couldn't do without like, you know, a comfort food or a certain item and things like that? Um, you might have kind of answered it with a Kindle, but is there anything, you know, a little luxury you you have to do um, with?
1: So I've answered this question in two stages. so. Um, on the round the world trip my absolute luxury was a banana sandwich I loved it for (laughs) my lunch I had it in all the different countries because bananas and bread are just so cheap I'd get the bread and squash the banana in it and I'd sit in a shady spot and I'd just relax for an hour and that was real heaven and that was I might have my kindle with me and that was a real delight and that was kind of a a thing that joined me to the frame um, of the trip. Um, Nowadays I still eat banana sandwiches, but I also have a small inflatable down pillow, which is about that big. And it goes into a down pillow and it weighs about 100 grams and it is an absolute delight to sleep on. No more jumpers under the arm and things. It really is a winner. Yeah, I've
0: done all that. Slept on all my clothes. Yeah. That's a top tip as well then. Is there much variation in bananas around the world? Do they all taste the same?
1: Uh, Well, If you ever go to like... um, South America, they do really good, like the ladies' fingers, the really small ones. Oh, really I've sp-
0: seen those. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're really nice. They, you can get a stem of about two hundred bananas for five dollars. Right, so just <laughs> cheek, and they're really, really tasty. <laughs> the difference is the bread. So, like, if you're in somewhere like Ecuador, uh, yeah, yeah. you have like banana tortilla, or if you're in like, Europe, <laughs> you have a like, crusty roll. right? It's really it keeps changing all the time. All
0: the forms <laughs> of banana sandwiches. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and one last question, um, which you did kind of answer already as well, I think. Um, why should we ride around the world on a tandem?
1: Because oh, it's the best thing <laughs> you'll ever do. You'll, you'll just you'll see the world, you'll feel the world, you'll taste the world, um, and you'll fly and you'll set the Guinness World Record and it will be the memory that you two will have for the rest of your lives. And it's perfect.
0: Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Thank you so much, yeah, Tim. Um, lucky. really looking forward to finishing the rest of your book. As I say, I'm pretty engrossed in it already. So um, yeah. And Amazing. I believe that's it's available from your website and most.
1: Yes. So if you go to my website, um, timmillikin.com, you can order it there. I would recommend if you're in UK, you, you do that one because you've got colour pictures in. Um, if you buy it on Amazon, which you can do also, it has black and white pictures, but it is, cheaper to ship internationally so it's up to you
0: Ah, Um, i didn't know that i'm really glad i got it straight from the website
1: (laughs) yeah amazon they don't allow um color printing on the inside you pick all color or all black and white so it's a it's an interesting process being a being a self-publisher
0: yeah i bet (laughs) oh that's that's a great tip yeah so i'm sure it will do really really well and yeah it's been absolutely fab to talk to you um thank you so much
1: (laughs) amazing laura it's been real fun thank you for this
0: No problem. Well, I've you enjoyed that fantastic chat with Tim and hopefully you've had the chance to enjoy some of the other podcasts as well. If not, go back, have a look and see who else we've, we've had on so far. Um, I've got a really big favour to ask. If you have been enjoying these podcasts, if you could potentially take a little bit of time and rate and review these podcasts on whichever app you're using to listen to them, that would be absolutely amazing we're getting a loads of really useful information from these podcasts but as well we are using them to try and promote our adventure so if you could take that bit of time and share the word as well tell your friends that would be absolutely fantastic and we would be so so grateful until next time bye